This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, är så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah! Carlson, världens yeah! bästa Carlson. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. With me, Brian, calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. For the second time in two days, if you happen to catch us yesterday on the TSN Analytics Show, we had a really good time there, but we are ready to give you the fantasy Goods today here on the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. Yeah, Brian, huge show as always. I always say it, but it's true. This doc, I don't even know how we're going to get through this in like less than five hours, but we'll do our best. So many injuries, so many interesting outjuries, hot streaks. We'll get into it all. Let's start by mentioning that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the best fantasy hockey website. I don't even know what I would do without DauberHockey.com. You know, I need to know who's playing with who and what percentage of the time is a player on the power play. I need to know their on-ice shooting percentage. I need to know starting goalies as soon as it gets tweeted. I need to know it all, and I get it all at DauberHockey.com. Plus great articles. One of the latest posts to DauberHockey.com is the top 50 prospect defensemen to own in fantasy hockey. It's their latest rankings. And of course, I think we can all predict that a certain ghost bear ranks number one. But who are two, three, four, and five? You can go find out over at DauberHockey.com. Ooh, well, I see number three on the list of someone we're going to mention a little later on the show. You guys at home could try to guess who that may be. But Brian, let's get into things. Let's start with the number one fantasy hockey headline of the week, which is injuries, which is specifically the injury to Evgeny Malkin. Oh, no. Didn't we do this last year and the year before and every year? Why does Malkin have to get injured in the fantasy hockey playoffs? I'd imagine all of his owners are just having a day of mourning right now because their playoff chances have just been hurt big time. Out six to eight weeks, and like I can't think of any silver lining here. Like I guess Nick Benino or Matt Cullen will play on the second line with Kessel and Haglin unless there's a major shakeup. So I guess you could say that maybe Benino or Cullen, whoever gets there, has a bit of a boost. But really, are you going to be adding these guys just because they play with Phil Kessel? Like Carl Haglin, he's only good because he was playing with Malkin. He has 14 points in 22 games with Pittsburgh. Compare that to 12 points in 43 games that he had with Anaheim before the trade. Also, I feel like this puts a lot more pressure on Crosby's line, since maybe now teams don't need to balance out their defense between those awesome top two lines. Brian, what can fantasy owners do at this point if they have Evgeny Malkin, aside from just roll up into a ball and try to ride it out? I think you just really hit the nail on the head, though. Like, Malkin can't be replaced. That's how it is in real life for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and that's how it is, unfortunately, on your fantasy team. There is no waiver wire pickup available who can for sure do what you could have expected Evgeny Malkin to do. Your only hope now is that maybe Kessel can channel his inner Maple Leaf and turn whoever his centerman becomes into the next Tyler Bozak. Can Nick Benino be Tyler Bozak? That's the question that we need to find out next. As for Haglin, Elon, you mentioned him. I'd grabbed him myself last week, excited about his schedule in the week to come, playing well with Malkin and Kessel. I'm very, very sad about what's happening with Pittsburgh. Haglin has really seen his season turn around, and if you want to be dramatic about it, 
even maybe his career. He has seen a revival as a 27-year-old. He's averaging two more minutes on the ice every night as a penguin than he was as a duck. He's also putting up his highest points for 60 rates since his rookie season back with the Rangers in 2011. But the question is, can he keep doing what he's been doing without Malkin? I think the answer is likely no. He was playing with Kessler and Silverberg back in Anaheim. Kessler is still an upgrade on one of those guys, but I'm not terribly confident that he can at least keep up this pace the rest of the way without Malkin there. I think the interesting thing to watch if you're looking to add a Penguin or to consider what's going to happen in Pittsburgh with Malkin out, keep an eye on who gets to step in on the power play. The Penguins had a little bit of power play time after Malkin got injured last game, and in that time, they put Justin Schultz on the blue line on that first unit. They had Kunitz and Hornquist up front with Crosby as well up front and Latang, of course, Q being the whole thing. So watch to see how that whole power play takes shape in the next couple games. Notably absent from that hodgepodge unit was Phil Kessel. So Kessel owners, you might need to keep your eyes peeled to see whether he keeps getting his first unit power play time. He's been trying to work that slap shot all season long and it just hasn't been happening for him. And then of course, Justin Schultz is the name that I said that you might want to keep an eye on. He is a likely free agent in your fantasy league right now. And if he starts seeing first unit power play time with the Penguins, even on a unit without Malkin and possibly without Kessel, there's still probably some value to be found there. Yeah, I wouldn't be too worried about this Kessel thing just yet. Like, I'm more worried about Kessel not playing with Malkin than him being off the top power play. There is another interesting name that you snuck in there is Chris Kunitz. I guess it makes sense that now he might get on the top power play, and he wasn't there. It was Crosby, Malkin, Hornfist, Kessel, and then Latang on the back end. So maybe this is a good thing for Chris Kunitz if he could get on the top power play. Maybe Justin Schultz. These are the names maybe you want to look at, I guess. And we also said Nick Benino or Matt Cullen, depending on who plays with Kessel. Overall, not great news. Next injury. This injury has someone who gets some good news. So Yaroslav Halak is also out long-term at least six weeks, basically until the end of the regular season. And this gives the opportunity to Thomas Grice to prove that he could be as good as his save percentage indicates. His save percentage, 928 on the season, 925 over the past 30 days. Though surprisingly, in his two games, he's started since Halak went down. Both losses, both three goals against, so not the best. Not horrible starts, because he made a lot of saves in both of them. But still, you know, we were hoping for a big impact from Thomas Grice. We've been calling him the best backup, or one of the best backups in the league this season. If you had Halak, that kind of sucks for you, though maybe you should have expected it. Hopefully you had Grice as the handcuff anyways. If you're like me, in one of my leagues, I was able to pick up Grice when Halak went down. I feel like he might have the potential to be one of the most viable goalies in fantasy for the rest of the regular season. I know that might be a lot of hyperbole, but Grice has been so good. The Islanders are doing well, even though they've lost these last two games. I feel like he's a must, must add, right, Brian? Yeah, even though we don't exactly know what we for sure can expect from him, he is a must-add right now. He's on a playoff team that has been doing pretty well as of late, and I think he's going to be somebody who can get you wins down the stretch and also put up some good peripheral numbers to go along with them. The curious thing about Grice is that, you know, for a guy who made his first NHL appearance back in the 2007-2008 season, so like eight years ago, He's played remarkably little, just 120 NHL appearances on his career record. So right now he sits at just under 3,000 saves, which is a sort of threshold that I like to use to figure out when we can start trusting what a goalie has shown us in his career to date. 3,000, 4,000 saves, somewhere around there. So we're really just beginning to get a sense of what we can expect from him long term. And there have been promising signs for sure all along the way, save for last year's disastrous run as Pittsburgh's backup. He's been an above average goalie in the little time that he has seen over the last little while. And if you look at just the last three seasons, he actually sits second in the whole league and even strength save percentage behind only Carey Price. But before you get too excited, that is a pretty small sample size, so we can't put all of our stock in it, though he is ahead of several goalies that we are pretty familiar with who have played a similar amount of minutes over the last three years. Guys like Jake Allen, Anton Kudobin, Robin Leonard, Michael Neuverth, Curtis McElhenney, Darcy Kemper. All this to say... He's a really good ad right now, and hopefully he gets some real playing time in so we start to find out who Thomas Grice 
is now and who he can be for us in the next three years, too. Yeah, well, at the end of the day, Grice is going to be getting a lot of time in the net. I don't see Jean-Francois Berube challenging him for all of those starts for the Islanders. So definitely, Grice is a guy you have to add if you can. You know, a lot of these goalie situations that we've been concerned about over the last few weeks seem to be settling down. Varlamov is back to being the number one on Colorado. I think Mrazek has taken the job back from Jimmy Howard. Steve Mason is doing well for the Flyers. So I think we might know who the good starters are, and you know, you have to add Grice to the list now. I'm trying to think of someone else you might be able to add with Halak injured, if you had Halak. No one's jumping to mind. Brian, is there anyone jumping to your mind that might be an available free agent goalie? In fact, I remember, Brian, didn't you text me yesterday saying there was a goalie that you were thinking you might want to add? Yeah. As a Robin Lehner owner, I'm starting to get worried about Chad Johnson doing things. Robin Lehner had a disastrous start a couple games ago. He got pulled, and then Chad Johnson came in, closed the door. The Sabres still lost, but Johnson stopped all 11 shots he faced. Then Lehner started the next game, did okay, and then they went back to Johnson, who posted a 9.33 save percentage against the Hurricanes, picking up the win in the shootout, stopping 28 of 30 shots. So now I'm starting to wonder if the Sabres are going to want to, I don't know, split time between the two goalies. It doesn't make sense to me because I feel like this is a really good chance for them to just run laner. There are no stakes at play right now for the Buffalo Sabres, except, I guess, a lower draft pick if they lose a whole bunch. But anyway, seeing Chad Johnson get back in the net at least made me start to think, ah, Maybe I need to handcuff these two if I really need goalie starts. I'm optimistic, though, that Laner is still the number one guy. We'll find out in the next two or three starts, a situation that all Laner owners need to keep their eyes peeled for. Yeah, definitely. Okay, tweet at us if you could think of another backup goalie that you think is worth adding right now. I'm sure there's someone that's just slipping our mind. Brian, let's talk about the Dallas Stars decor now, which has been a bit decimated lately. John Klingberg has missed four games now with a lower body ailment, and the last thing we heard was that he'll miss at least the next two, so who knows how long Klingberg will be out. Also, Jason Demers is going to be out long term, so right now, the two main defensemen on Dallas have been... Alex Goligoski, who's been doing fantastically, by the way. Eight points in his last seven games. Finally, one of them on the power play in his last game yesterday against St. Louis. Probably Goligoski is a guy who was already owned in your league since he has been having a pretty decent season overall. Obviously not as good as when he was the top power play defenseman on Dallas, but especially since he provides some peripherals, he's been good. But you know who's been getting more power play minutes than Alex Goligoski during John Klingberg's absence? Who, Elon? I'll tell you, it's the newly acquired Chris Russell. They got him from Calgary, I assumed for defensive reasons, right? Like, we all know Chris Russell as the guy in fantasy who gives you a zillion blocks. But yesterday against St. Louis, Chris Russell played 26 minutes, including 439 on the power play. He had two assists, and that gives him four points in his last four games. Four points in six games since he joined the team. But obviously now with Klingberg and Tamers out, Chris Russell has a hugely important role. And considering he's still picking up blocks in these four games that I just mentioned, he has 16 blocks. So that makes him basically a fantasy elite defenseman for the short term, in my opinion. If he's going to be a top power play defenseman who gives you among the league lead in blocks, holy cow, you have to go grab Chris Russell, especially in a league that counts blocks, but even not. Yeah, he's a really good multi-cat own right now, especially if your league counts blocks. But like you just said, Elon, even if it doesn't, he's getting enough power play time and doing enough with it to be worth a look in your league. It's really interesting that with Klingberg and Demare out of the Dallas lineup right now, that's two-thirds of Dallas's power play blue line. There's been no Dallas defenseman this year that's even seen 15 minutes with the extra man, aside from Goligoski, now that those two guys are injured. And Goligoski, of course, has been nowhere near as prolific as Klingberg with his time because, well, he's playing on that second unit, which is probably where Goligoski's going to stay for now. So I don't know if you can expect a huge uptick in points. Elon, you pointed out that he is on a pretty good run right now. Both these guys are going to see more minutes for as long as these two are out, although Klingberg hopefully might be back sometime this week. Until then... There is value in adding both of these guys to your fantasy team, although I would be surprised if either one was still available in most reasonably deep leagues. Yeah, well, Chris Russell, only 18.3% owned in ESPN, believe it or not. So you have to rush and go grab Chris Russell right now, especially if you're in a playoff matchup and you need him for the short term. Dallas plays three times next week. And this is a team where we always get so excited whenever someone like Patrick Eves gets on the top power play. So why not the quarterback of the top power play playing with Ben and Sagan? grab Chris Russell, and then reassess when Klingberg comes back. Let's move over to Montreal. I feel like we've been talking about the Habs a lot lately, but we have to mention both Brendan Gallagher and P.K. Subban are injured. 
Gallagher is going to be out two to three weeks. Subban, we don't really know yet. Apparently, he's just going to be day-to-day. They don't think it's super serious. But still, in the short term, there are some players who have been stepping up big time. I think we already mentioned last week. We've been talking about it for a while. Alex Galchenyuk has been just on fire. He's got 11 goals in his last nine games. Just totally insane. Hopefully, you grabbed him during that lull when he wasn't doing that well. When you had the chance, you definitely don't have the chance now. And part of the reason why Galchenyuk has been able to keep putting up these goals is that he's been on the top line with Max Pacioretty. He was swapped with Thomas Placanitz. And so for a bit, it was Galchenyuk with Pacioretty and Gallagher. Now with Gallagher injured, the guy who's stepping in is Sven Andrigetto. Who is this guy? He's got four assists in his last three games. Obviously, playing with Pacioretty and Galchenyuk is a great place to be. So I guess my first question to you, Brian, is should people be rushing to grab Sven Andrigetto? And then we'll go talk about the defense situation. Andrew Ghetto is a guy who hasn't been up with the big club all season. He's just played 34 games with the Canadiens after having put up essentially a point per game so far this season in the AHL. He's got 23 points in 26 games with the St. John's Ice Caps. And in the previous couple of years, he had a cup of coffee in Montreal. But other than that, he was still scoring pretty well at about three quarters of a point per game. So he's essentially proving himself slowly but surely in the AHL. And the time has come to see what he can do in the NHL lately. It's looking pretty good, especially because of his line mates. And you can also see a huge uptick in the minutes that he's played when he did get into games in November and December. He was playing about 12, maybe 13 minutes a game. But in February, he's starting to see more time, about 13, 14 minutes. And over his last six or seven games, He's averaging 17 minutes of ice time per game, which is big news. And the bigger news is that he's taking advantage of that time on the ice. He still only has seven shots in his last five games, which doesn't tell me that he's about to score a whole lot of goals. But as long as he's on that top line, he's going to be in pretty good shape to at least collect assists, maybe secondary assists, whatever. As long as he's on that top line, it's clicking pretty well right now in Montreal. He's worth a look. Yeah, and of course, the big loser here is Thomas Placanic, like I said, who is scoreless in his last six, playing with Paul Byron and Lars Eller. And in fact, Eller was out last game, so Placanic was playing with Paul Byron and Charles Houdon? Hudden? Oh, no. I know you haven't heard of him. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to ask Brian to talk about Charles Hudden until he does something, which probably won't happen. Hudon. Hudon, thank you. Okay, and then let's talk about Subban. With him injured, you would think that Andre Markov gets a bump. He becomes the number one defenseman on Montreal. But the thing is, Markov already had 14 points in 13 games before Subban went down. And since Subban has been injured... Markov has no points in his last two games. He was seeing over 70% of power play time in most games, even with Subban on the team. So nothing has really changed. He's still seeing a lot of power play time, but he was already on the top power play. So really, it might hurt Markov that Subban is out because he was probably benefiting from playing with Subban on the top power play. Yeah, I think you're right there. And I feel like he's probably trying to carry a bit more of the load on his shoulders. Stuff that Subban used to do and he used to benefit from. Well, now he's got to do a bit more of the heavy lifting as well. Not to say he hasn't already been doing Doing it in the past, but he's got to do a little bit more of it. His ice time is up. I don't know. Some players don't do as well offensively when their ice time does go up. But I don't want this to be like a downer segment on Andre Markov. He has 15 points in his last 19 games, which is really amazing considering that huge lull that he hit in the middle of the season when a lot of owners got very impatient with him. He did return. He did start doing what Andre Markov normally does. With or without Subban in the lineup, I still like Markov. Okay, but yeah, I guess just to say, if you're in a really shallow league and Markov is available, don't rush to grab him just because Subban is injured if you weren't going to before. The guy, though, who does look like an interesting ad, obviously in a much more deep league, is the guy joining Markov on the top power play, and his name is Mark Barbario. Barbario has a goal and three assists in his last four games. Doesn't take a ton of shots, doesn't get a lot of blocks, but like I said, he's on a point streak and he's on the top power play, so I'd expect some power play points to come soon. Definitely watch list time for Mark Barbario, if nothing else. I guess so. You know, I feel like the Canadians are at that point in their season where they're not making the playoffs. Unbelievable that we're seeing that right now, by the way. And they might just want to see what they've got in terms of depth in the organization. They have a chance to put him in, give him a different role than he's used to. This is a guy who played in the Tampa organization for a couple years, didn't get very far, but has been better in the AHL with Montreal's affiliate this year. 20 points in 26 games, but has done very little at the NHL level. Elon, you said he doesn't take a lot of shots. That's an understatement. He has three shots in his last five games. Power play time is great, but he's pretty far down my watch list even with that. 
well, hey, one of those shots went in. So maybe he's just really good at pinpointing where to shoot. But no, obviously that's not the case. Don't expect a lot of goals from Mark Barbario. He had a 2% shooting percentage last year, so I'm pretty sure that is not the case. And since we're talking about injured defensemen, let's quickly go to Anaheim. Sammy Vatnin and Kevin Bieksa, both injured, both still day-to-day, so we don't know how long either of them will be out. But I think what you need to do right now is add Shea Theodore to your watch list. Keep an eye on if he gets caught up. If one of these injuries ends up being long-term, you might want to grab Shea Theodore. Maybe you can even afford to do it now just for insurance. Say if you've already made the playoffs and you have a bye week or something. Obviously, in the short term, Fowler and Lindholm will be leaned on for more power play time with Vatnin out. But if you recall, when Shea Theodore was on the team last, when Fowler was injured, he ended up right on the top power play, and he had two goals and four assists in his last six games before being sent back down to the minors. Things would get very interesting if it turns out that Vatnin's out long term. As always, Elon, I do not have a lot to say about the Anaheim situation. We'll see what happens, as we always do with the Ducks. Theodore has continued to roll along in the HL. He's on a 52 full season point pace. So it's safe to say that if we don't see him very soon in the NHL, we're probably going to see him next year. And then one more defenseman injury to mention. This one might also not be long-term. We don't know yet. Nicholas Cronwall sustained a lower body injury in Saturday's game against the Rangers. Word is it might not be long-term, but who knows with a guy who was already out for a while earlier in the year. Once again, Mike Green has the chance to take ownership of the top power play and get big power play minutes. He did last game. Of course, he did nothing. But I have to say, Mike Green did have a bit of a run. He had four games in a row where he put up five points overall. It was very exciting and also kind of annoying because we had just said on the podcast that he's a snoozer and you should drop him. Now the last two games, he's back to no points, no shots even in the last game, even though Cronwall was injured. So who knows with Mike Green? Brian, do we risk our reputations and tell people that they should add Mike Green if Cronwall's injury is serious and he's out for a bit? I wonder if we're risking our reputation by not recommending Mike Green while Cronwall is injured. I think either way, the opposite of what we say is going to happen. So all I'm going to say is this. Mike Green has been on a little run lately, which is very good. It's one of the more sustained ones that he's seen all season long. But if you look at his shot attempts, his scoring chances, his shots on goal, nothing looks to have really changed during that time. The one thing that has changed is that his on-ice shooting percentage has gone up. So more goals are going in while he's on the ice, more than we can expect to continue. Of course, we've seen unsustainable on-ice shooting percentages sustain themselves for short periods of time, and that's what could happen here. But what I'm trying to say is that Mike Green hasn't gotten better. It doesn't seem that way anyway. It's just that things are kind of more going his way lately. So you can decide based on that information whether or not you're going to make that move. So that's our injury rundown for the week. We're going to talk about outjuries. And if you want to go see Sergei Bobrovsky or Marion Hossa or Ryan Nugent Hopkins back playing with their teams, why not go to the game by buying a ticket on SeatGeek? SeatGeek is a valued sponsor of Keeping Carlson and is always the first place I go to look for tickets to a game or concert. SeatGeek has taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. And even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. Yeah, my brother was actually telling me he bought a seat off SeatGeek for the recent Toronto Blue Jays playoff run. And they also have maps available with a really detailed view from your seat that you're purchasing of what you're going to see when you get to the game. I wonder if the map can show if Mike Green is going to score or not, because I would really like to know that for fantasy. That might be asking a lot of SeatGeek, but what isn't asking a lot of them is that they also show you the full price before you buy your ticket. You don't need to log in to find out. You don't need to check out to find out. You just go to the site. The price you see right at the start is the price you're going to pay at the end. And if that's not enough to convince you to check out SeatGeek, how about this? They're offering our listeners a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. So don't delay. Download the SeatGeek app. Enter the promo code KEEPING, as in Keeping Carlson. And then once you buy your ticket, SeatGeek will send you $20. Just like that. Check it out. And with that, let's get into these outjuries. A lot of players have played a single game, so it's perfect for us to be able to report on their first game back and then speculate on how they'll do for the rest of the season. We have to start with Sergei Bobrovsky. I have to tell you, Brian, a lot of these outjuries really just hit me out of the blue. Like, I didn't realize they were going to be happening, but all of a sudden I saw on the Facebook group, hey guys, Bobrovsky's playing tonight. Corpusalo sent to the minors. I was like, what? I didn't even know that that was happening. But definitely, if you have Eunice Corpusalo. 
That kind of sucks because he was doing so great for you, but you got to drop him now. He's down in the minors. Hopefully you have Bobrovsky you could activate off of your IR. But at the end of the day, I think it's interesting to consider what is Bobrovsky's value because he's obviously a great goalie. He won the Vesna trophy a couple years ago. But he's also coming in off of injury to one of the worst teams in the league in his first game. It was against Pittsburgh. He really got thrown into the Wolves for that game. Led in three goals, made 28 saves for a 9.03 save percentage, didn't get the win. Columbus won't be playing Pittsburgh every game. But Brian, do you think that Bobrovsky can be relied on as a top one or two goalie for the fantasy hockey playoffs for his owners? My hope is that he can. If you just look at Eunice Corpusalo, you'll see that he had a 918 save percentage in 26 appearances. Bobrovsky, in essentially the same amount of time, he's played like 70 more minutes and has appeared in two more games, has a 911 save percentage. And I don't think at the end of the day that Corpusalo is a better goalie than Bobrovsky. Can Bobrovsky get his game together quickly enough, coming back from injury, to make a meaningful contribution to your fantasy lineup? That is the big question, but I don't think there's anything stopping him except himself. I think the possibility is definitely there, and that's something that you have to have faith in if you have stashed him in your IR as long as you already have. Yeah, it seems like now's the time where if you have Sergei Bobrovsky, if it was me, I would ride or die with Sergei Bobrovsky. I wouldn't keep him on the bench. If, though, for some reason you have him in your IR and you're in one of those leagues where you're allowed to keep the player in IR as long as you want, as long as you don't make any acquisitions in the meantime, keep in mind, Columbus doesn't play again till next Thursday, so you can leave Bobrovsky in IR, get some extra games out of the guy you're going to drop before dropping him. Then Columbus plays Detroit, New Jersey, and New Jersey again to close out the week, so it's not too bad of a schedule. I think Bobrovsky can potentially have a really good week for you, but yeah, wait till Thursday if you can. And good luck to you. You've waited a long time to have Bobrovsky back. Hopefully... He'll make it worth the wait. One guy who definitely made his return worth the wait for his owners. Totally unexpected. I also didn't know that he was going to be coming back. But Mike Smith came back from injury yesterday, shook off the dust, and then procured a 44-save shutout against the Edmonton Oilers. Holy cow. This is Mike Smith we're talking about. He has a 9.08 save percentage on the season, but a monster return. A 44-save shutout. That is very impressive. He was like, Connor McDavid, your shots just got Connor McSavid. Like I said, I didn't know he was going to be coming back. Obviously, this is a huge hit to Louis Domingue because he was getting every game. No matter how bad he played, he was still getting all the starts. And let's keep in mind, overall, he did well for a while. He was actually above like 918 or something with a save percentage. Now at the end of his run, he's at 912 on the year. So it's been a pretty brutal last few games for Louis Domingue. He did have a good win against Calgary in his last start, but who knows when he'll play again now that Mike Smith is back. And rolling right off the bat, if you've got Mike Smith on your IR, or if he's available as a free agent, Brian, can people trust in Mike Smith not blowing up their save percentage moving forward? Do they need to add him to go for these shutouts? Going for shutouts with Mike Smith is probably not your best course of action. Going for anything with Mike Smith might not be your best course of action. We've seen him get hot for short periods at a time over last season and this one. In fact, at one point, we were lauding him and saying, guys, we all wrote off Mike Smith, but he's had an amazing 30-40 games. And it was true. I don't know that you can call that a slam dunk. Louis Domingue was able to win uh, almost half of the games he played. He had 14 wins in 34 decisions, which isn't great. I wouldn't expect any more wins from Mike Smith. Maybe you'll get a little bit better in terms of save percentage and goals against average, but uh, don't hold your breath. This is like a deep dive if you're desperate for starts. Also, Elon, I think it's worth mentioning that Edmonton Oilers are really struggling to score goals at a time that we've been so excited with McDavid coming back and that, you know, they sort of have a full top six again. They have just four goals in their last four games. They've been shut out twice by teams playing on the second half of a back-to-back. The other time, of course, when they played San Jose earlier this week, things are not looking rosy in Edmonton. But with Ryan Nugent Hopkins coming back, maybe that'll change? Brian, you're stealing my thunder a little bit. I'm the one who's supposed to be introducing the players we're going to talk about. But yes, Ryan Nugent Hopkins returned yesterday and found himself centering a line with Nail Yakupov and Lori Korpakovsky. So definitely not the quality of line mates that he was seeing before he got injured. The rest of the Oilers' lines shook out as follows. Leon Dreisaitl with Eberly and Patrick Maroon. And then Connor McDavid with Taylor Hall and Zach Cassian. So that's very exciting and interesting that Taylor Hall and McDavid are together. Though, like you said, nothing to show for it yesterday. I feel like it won't take long for these two to score while playing together. Taylor Hall had five shots yesterday, as did Connor McDavid. Of course, Zach Cassian, no shots on goal. It's still a pretty interesting opportunity to be playing on a line with Hall and McDavid. I think Cassian will be able to pick something up playing there. 
a lot of guys who might have some value, like Pat Maroon is another guy if he's playing with Drysdale and Eberle. Though, like you said, the Oilers are struggling right now. Let's quickly talk about Ryan Nugent Hopkins. If you had him in your IR or if he's available as a free agent, just like Mike Smith, it's like, do we really want to go ahead and add him because he's a good player, maybe even a great player, but not in a great situation? Yesterday, Nugent Hopkins played 15 minutes and 49 seconds, four shots on goal. He got decent power play time, so you'd think the opportunity is there. But like I said, playing with Korpakovsky and Yakupov, I'm just not sure. I don't know. I don't feel too great about RNH right now. Plus, keep in mind, the Oilers have a pretty weak playoff schedule. They play four times next week, and then after that, only eight games for the remaining three weeks of the season, which is something that a lot of fantasy owners are concerned about. Well, I think Ryan Nugent Hopkins was already a little bit on the outs with fantasy owners based on his point pace so far this season, which would put him around, well, 52 points, which is not what we would hope for from him. We want 55 or 60 if we're being really optimistic. And that's going to be even harder now because the Oilers have two centers ahead of him on their depth chart. Of course, they have Connor McDavid, and Todd McClellan has said that he doesn't have any real interest in moving Dreisaitl back to the wing that he likes having him as a center. So that means, I guess, that the Oilers are going to roll with three strong centers down the middle and then try and fill them out with wingers in their top nine, which they don't really have enough depth to really carry, I don't think. If you look at the guys that they have in there, like Korpakowski, Cassian, and Maroon, I mean, we've had some good things to say about Maroon and Cassian in the last month or so, but they've come and gone in terms of production. They aren't necessarily fantastic complementary players, not exactly Teddy Purcell-like material. Now, he does have Yakupov playing on his wing, which should sound like a positive thing, but in the past, it's been bad to be Nail Yakupov or anybody playing with him in terms of how you're being treated by Oilers management. In fact, Elon, let me just transition to Yakupov for a second. Here are some Oilers players who saw power play time in their most recent game. Mark Letestu, Patrick Maroon and Zach Cassian, Lori Korpakoski omitted from that list is Nail Yakupov. It's like they refuse to give him a legitimate chance to put up points. I can't help but think his days in Edmonton have to be numbered. Maybe he and Ryan Nugent Hopkins can sort of be mad about being on the so-called third line there and rise up, but I'm not holding my breath on either one right now. I think Nugent Hopkins is a good guy to have on your team if you already own him and you're just moving him out of your IR. But otherwise, if you feel a temptation to rush and grab him, just make sure that the guy you're dropping is going to make it worthwhile. Well, yeah, and also if you're bringing him out of IR, make sure the guy you're dropping is worthwhile. You can always tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. Tell us the name of the player you're considering to drop for Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and we'll let you know if we think you should actually make that move. And yeah, Yakupov, four shots yesterday. I guess a lot of the Oilers had a lot of shots since Mike Smith had that 44 safe shutout, but only 11 minutes of ice time for Yakupov, so he's definitely not getting leaned on at all. Okay, Brian, another outjury, another guy who's played one game so far, Rick Nash is back for the Rangers, and he was out for a while. It was one of those injuries where we weren't sure when he was finally going to make it back into the lineup, but he did come back. He played his first game for the Rangers and found himself on a line with Eric Stahl and Victor Stahlberg. So for Eric Stahl, someone who we said before, maybe you don't want to look at since he's going to be playing on the third line with not great line mates. First of all, we kind of looked dumb because the day we said that he got a goal and an assist, but also that doesn't apply anymore because he's playing with Rick Nash, a guy who scored... 30-plus goals for the past few seasons. In Nash's first game back, neither of them had too much to show for it. Neither of them got a point. Nash, two shots on goal. Eric Stahl, one shot on goal. But it should be interesting to watch going forward. Brian, I guess both of these guys now I'd be interested to get your thoughts on. Should people be rushing to grab or add Eric Stahl or Rick Nash if they're available? I'm still decidedly bearish on Eric Stahl as New York Ranger. I'm not looking to make a move on him right away just because he's playing with Rick Nash. In fact, because Derek Broussard looks like he's slated to come back today. By the time you hear this, we expect Derek Broussard to have played a game and he generally plays with Rick Nash, which I expect will bump Eric Stahl back to playing with Victor Stahlberg. And well, it was Oscar Lindbergh for a while, but maybe Jesper Fast or JT Miller. I don't know exactly who he's going to end up with, but I don't think it's going to be in the top six. There are a lot of people who still see him as a really attractive fantasy option, but on Carolina, in a really good situation, he was their prime offensive go-to guy. He was not any better than a half-point-per-game player. I don't really have any expectation that he can best that while playing a depth role with the Rangers. Maybe you'll say, well, the pressure's off him. He can be a complimentary guy, sure, but complimentary guys don't go scoring on huge point-per-game paces for a long period of time. Of course, it's the playoffs and anything can happen. 
Fancy playoffs, of course, is what I mean. But I'm not getting excited about Eric Stahl because he played a game with Rick Nash, especially with Broussard about to return from his bout with the flu. Yeah, I agree with you, Brian. I wouldn't be rushing to grab Eric Stahl either. I am curious to hear your thoughts on Rick Nash, though. He only has 33 points in 46 games this season. Pretty disappointing compared to his 42 goals last year and 69 points in 79 games. What was happening with Rick Nash before his injury, and is he going to come back to score a lot of goals in the remainder of the regular season? Yes, there are a couple things at play with Ricky Nash that we're going to be watching for in his return to the lineup. First off, is he going to start taking more shots? Right now, he's on pace to pick up about 270 shots on goal over an 82-game season, which isn't terrible. But for him, he's had over 300 in three of the last, well, three full seasons that he's played. He's played a couple seasons where he's missed a lot of time. And so that's eaten into his shot totals. But the last three times that he played a full season, he's had 300 shots on goal or more. Two years ago, he was essentially on pace to do the same. This year, it's different. This year, he's about 30, 40 shots on goal short of that pace. So that's going to need to change for him to be able to get back to his goal scoring ways. The other thing is his shooting percentage, which is hopefully just a matter of him being snake bitten. He's shooting at just 8%. This year, and he's used to shooting closer in the, say, 10 to 13% range, which is a pretty large range for a shooter to move between. But that said, he's not in that range right now, and he's not even really near it. So he's got to start seeing a little more success on his shots, whether that means getting to better places on the ice or not. I'm not sure. I don't know exactly what he has to do to get that percentage up, but it's something we also have to watch to see if he gets a little more shooting luck going his way. All right, and another guy who came back for his first game recently is Marion Hossa on the Blackhawks. He returned on Friday, and we finally got to see this line of Marion Hossa, Andrew Ladd, and Jonathan Taves that we were excited about. No goals in that game for that line, though Marion Hossa did get six shots on goal, so he's someone definitely worth watching, though only a minute and 23 seconds of power play time, as opposed to guys like Patrick Kane, who had five minutes and 44 seconds. So that's something maybe to watch. But, you know, Chicago has those two distinct power play lines, and they generally are about even you'll have the Taves Hosa lad on one and then the Panarin Kane and Anisimov on the other throw in maybe Toivo Teravainen or Andrew Shaw I can't imagine Marion Hosa is not going to have value in your fantasy playoffs he's on a great line he was already playing with Jonathan Taves and doing okay but now they get a really solid left winger there to solidify things with Andrew Ladd Brian I'm curious to know your thoughts on Marion Hosa's return maybe we could even compare him to these other guys we've been talking about like Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Rick Nash who would you like between the three this is an easy one for me just based on past performance I'm gonna go Nash first then Hosa then Nugent Hopkins I love Hosa coming back on that top line Hopefully it doesn't take him too long to shake off the rust. He is somebody who has been known for his fitness, and hopefully that's a factor in him being able to return quickly to the lineup. And it's great that he has a brand new left winger to play with, an Andrew Ladd, which should help that line produce points. Of course, that line's MO is not necessarily just to produce points, but is also to shut down other teams' top lines. So you can't expect the world from Marion Hossa, but you should be able to expect some decent production from him. One player on the Blackhawks that I'd like to turn our attention to is actually down on the third line right now, and his name is Toivo Teravainen. We talked about him so much at the start of the season, he became a snoozer, but now he's quietly making noise, and we actually talked about this on the trade deadline when the Blackhawks acquired Fleischmann and Weiss. We said this is an opportunity for Teravainen to play on a legitimate third line where he's not doing a bunch of heavy lifting. There are other guys with NHL experience who can do the work, and that was also a comment from the Blackhawks front office at the time, and that's the way it's been. He's been really benefiting from having two very solid line mates with him. Since the trade has happened, he has scored points in five of six games played, one goal, four assists, and has had 12 shots in that span. So even though he's down on that third line, he is able to make a little bit of noise and is someone worth considering as a depth ad right now, because I assume Hosa might not be available. Yeah, Teravainen might make a sneaky ad in a deeper league, at least for the short term. Chicago plays four times next week, and not only is he on a nice run playing with Weiss and Fleischmann, but like I said, he did get some time on the power play with Ladd and Taves. I think you could do worse than Toivo for next week. Let's go to Florida now. A big outjury there as Jonathan Huberdeau has returned to the lineup, and he has made a huge splash. In fact, Ryan, I think you're going to say that he goes on the top of the list of the most exciting outjuries Maybe Bobrovsky's there, depending on what you need. But Huberdeau has five points in three games since returning. Right back on the top line with Alex Barkov and Yarmir Yager. 
on the top power play with Yager, Bjugstad, Barkov, and then Ekblad or Campbell on D. Doesn't matter. Florida is scoring a lot of goals. Huberdeau's been a big part of that. If he's a free agent in your league, like I can't think of any reason. I can't imagine how shallow your league must be to not want Jonathan Huberdeau. And this gives us a good opportunity to look at the Florida Lions. We didn't know how things were going to shake out after the trade deadline with all those acquisitions. Of course, now Teddy Purcell is injured, which means we don't know exactly how things will look once Purcell is back. But for yesterday's game, we saw Barkov, Huberdeau, and Yager for line one, Trocek, Riley Smith, and UC Jokinen for line two, and then Bjugstad, Hoodler, and Kyle Rao for line three. And who knows if actually that line two and line three, maybe you could flip them. Though it's hard to not say Trocek, Smith, and Jokinen are line three since they've been one of the most productive lines. Like, of course, Barkov and Huberdeau and Yager have been great. But Smith, Trocek, and Jokinen, they're all heating up again. They've had a great year overall. Yesterday, Riley Smith had two goals, which gives him 25 on the year. He's tied for the team league. UC Jokinen has just been insane all year long. I feel like probably I've made some mistakes throughout the year when people have asked advice questions and included UC Jokinen in the list of players. They're trying to decide who to add at this point. I think you might just want to add UC Jokinen. But really, there are so many hot Panthers right now. Like, if you look at their leading scores over their last eight games, you've got Yager with nine, Jokinen with nine, Trocek with nine, Riley Smith with seven points, Barkov with six, Huberdeau with five, even though he's only played three games. All of these guys look great. The only one who doesn't look that great on that team right now that maybe we would have hoped would be is Yuri Hoodler. We said when he got traded that he was going to a worse position, leaving the Calgary line of Gojo and Monaghan to join. I guess now it's Bjugstad and Kyle Rao. Maybe Teddy Purcell will be there. Not looking great for Hoodler. Looking great for everyone else, though. Yeah, okay. I'll unpack all of this. I'll take it just a little chunk at a time, starting with where you finished on Hoodler. He's seeing less ice time, but he is taking more shots and shot attempts per 60 minutes than he has in a little while. He's only played five games with the Panthers right now, so keep watching. It's hard to see how he cracks the top six. That's the bad news for Hoodler owners, but the good news, the bright side if you're looking for it, is that, well, he's got a very capable centerman in Nick Bjugstad, who's got two assists in his last three games played. One of them came on the power play. He is a capable producer. Remember, Elon, you believed so much in him that you thought he would outscore Alex Barkov this season when we chatted about it at the start of the year. All right. Can we just never mention that again? That was a mistake. Yeah, so that's probably not going to happen. But I do hold out hope that he and Hoodler can make things happen together. Let's go back up to Huberdeau now, who's back. And we actually, speaking of Barkov, we got asked about Huberdeau and saying, why, if you're all so high on Barkov all of the time, Where's the love for Huberdeau? Well, I see more offensive upside coming from Barkov. Huberdeau is a guy I'm really excited about. I'm glad he's back in the lineup. He came up as a guy who can do a ton on both sides of the puck. Not necessarily a razzle-dazzle offensive guy, just a really solid two-way forward who has a bit of offensive flair. He's into his fourth NHL season right now. He's on a 60-point full-season scoring pace, which is actually the best pace he's had in his career But I also think it's probably about as good as we can hope for him going forward. 55-60 points. Barkov, on the other hand, I think we can expect for him to more reliably hit 60 points and maybe even touch 65. Oh, wow. I would have thought you would have even said 70 plus for Barkov. He's turning into a real superstar. I've lauded him so much that I'm trying to stay a little calm on Barkov on the whole. But yeah, I do want to believe he can hit 70 points and I will not rule it out. Huberdeau, on the other hand, I can just about rule out. I don't think he is going to be a 65, 70 point player going forward. And then finally, looking at that super hot line in Florida, you see Jokinen is having himself a season. He's behind only Yarmir Yager in points per 60 minutes amongst Florida Panthers forwards. That whole line, Jokinen, Trocek, and Smith is also leading all Panthers forwards in shot attempts per 60 minutes. The only other guy in the mix there again, somehow, Yarmir Yager. And you know, I think that the big focus on Yager, Barkov, and now Huberdeau on that top line lets these guys, Jokinen, Smith, and Trocek, who don't have a ton of name recognition, kind of quietly do their thing. My curiosity is to see whether or not they can keep quietly doing their thing once the NHL playoffs begin. But of course, we don't care about that for fantasy. I actually added Riley Smith. You know, in the fantasy playoffs, it's interesting. When a team is close to losing, they have to make desperate moves, maybe drop a guy who's just not playing for someone who's playing. That happened with me for Riley Smith in a pretty deep league. I added him, got his two goals yesterday, which is pretty sweet. Florida plays four times next week. If any of these guys are available in your league, definitely take a look. Just maybe not Yuri Hoodler. Brian, actually, 
If you had to choose between Hoodler and Tara Vinen, who we just talked about, two third-line guys, who would you want between those two? Well, Tara Vinen has been seeing power play time with Anisimov out of the lineup, so I'm going to lean Tara Vinen there, but it's pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. I think I would also lean Tara Vinen, though, actually, you mentioned Anisimov. He might be back in Chicago's next game. One other outjury I wanted to mention, this is obviously a completely lower caliber, a lower level, but if you're in a super deep league... Ryan Murphy is back for Carolina, and he's someone we talked about at the beginning of the season that maybe he'd be able to get a decent amount of power play time. And in Carolina's last game, he saw over 50% of his team's power play minutes. And of course, Justin Falk is injured, and that's what's giving Ryan Murphy this opportunity. He's got three points in five games. So very deep league if you need a defenseman. Don't ignore Ryan Murphy. Though maybe I'd still take of the Ryan Murr blank E defenseman. I think I'd rather Ryan Murray on Columbus, who's also doing pretty well lately and gets a lot more blocks. Yes, in that very niche category, Elon, I agree with you. Although there's not a whole lot of competition there. Maybe we can get some other Ryan Murr blank E in the league in the coming years. Yeah, we'll definitely have our eyes out for the next guy whose name fits that description. So many hot streaks I want to get to, but we have a few roster moves I want to mention. A couple suspensions, actually. Dennis Weidman, his suspension is over, finally, after 19 games. It turns out he was only supposed to be suspended for 10, but obviously it's too late to take it back. Doesn't matter. We don't want to get into all of that. Let's talk about the fantasy impact of Dennis Weidman returning to the Calgary Flames. TJ Brody is actually injured right now, though it's looking like it'll only be short term. But Weidman did get a good amount of power play time in his return, probably because Brody was out. Calgary plays four games next week. Brian, is there any reason that people should be looking to add Dennis Weidman at this point? Because I'm sure he was dropped in a lot of leagues, especially if you weren't able to stash him. You didn't want to just have him burning a hole in your roster for 19 games. I'll keep this answer short. Not really. With three capable offensive defensemen in Calgary right now and Brody, Giordano, and Hamilton to some extent, Dennis Weidman is not really up on the list right now. And his defensive partner has since moved on since he got suspended. Chris Russell is out of the lineup. So actually, it'll be interesting to see who he gets partnered up with and what his role is going to be now that his longtime defensive partner is no longer wearing the same jersey. Yeah, in his first game back, Weidman played 18 minutes, no shots on goal, no points, but like I said, three minutes and 19 seconds on the power play, which was close to the top for the team. And you know another guy who had a lot of power play time in that game, and a guy I wanted to mention later, but I'll just mention him now, Joe Colborn. He's been the lucky recipient of Yuri Hoodler's power play time along with Godreau and Monaghan. And for what it's worth, Colborn's got three goals and two assists in his last eight games. Two of those are power play points. Again, this is a deep league kind of thing. This is like a Ryan Murphy type of suggestion. But keep your eye on Joe Colborn because you could do a lot worse than playing on the top power play with Johnny Goudreau and Sean Monaghan. A good place for him to be for sure. I mentioned Brody is a reason why you shouldn't add Weidman, by the way. Yes, I know he's out of the lineup right now, Elon. You just said that. No, but I also said he's going to be returning soon. And the word is he might even be back on Monday. So don't worry about Brody. Okay, cool. And for anybody wondering, Dennis Weidman was playing with Jakub Nakladal in his <laughs> last game. In the first game back, the Flames blue line actually kind of looks like a bad joke right now. You've got guys named Yerky Yokipaka, Derek Englund, and Jakub Nakladal playing with Dennis Weidman, Giordano, and Hamilton. I think the Flames blue line features the letter K more than any other team in the league. If you find a team with more Ks amongst their blue line names, please tweet us and let us know. At Keeping Carlson. <laughs> Man, you've got a lot of homework listeners. You've got to send us teams with defensemen who have K and also Ryan Murr blank E's in the league. So get to work. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah. Joe Colborn. Maybe you want to look at him. And I'm looking at the Flames performance recently. I guess another guy I have to mention is Mikhail Backlund. He's got four goals and an assist in his last five games. Almost a goal in every game. Backlund's been playing on a line with Michael Froelich and Kenny Agostino. Okay. Well, it's working. I'm not sure if I would add Mikhail Backlund. I'd probably go Joe Colborn, though he's playing with Josh Juris and Lance Boma. Really, Colborn is all about that power play time. Of course, Backlund's getting a lot more ice time. Brian, what do you think if I'm choosing between a Calgary forward, not name Gojo or Monahan? Who would you go with? Your gut? I mean, I guess I would personally go with Backlund just because I've always liked him as a player for a while. And we know that if Joe Colborn ends up away from the situation he's in right now, then he's going to be pretty much worthless to you. While Backlund can keep up at least some fantasy value from wherever he is in the lineup. So I guess that's why I lean Backlund. But if you're looking to do like the high risk, high reward move, maybe you lean Colborn instead. Okay, and on the other side of the suspension news, we've got Gabriel Landeskog, who's going to be out for three games. He cross-checked Simon Dupre in the head 
and he's really hurting not only Simon to pray, but also his fantasy owners. Come on, Gabriel Landeskog. He's not going to be able to play again till next Sunday. So if you're in a playoff matchup, it's really hard to decide. If you're in a one-year league, what do you do with Gabriel Landeskog? Do you hold on to him and let him burn a hole in your roster all week just to get his game on Sunday? Or do you drop him? I don't know if there's really much fantasy advice to give here, except to say that the Colorado Lions with Landeskog injured in the last game, at least, were Aginla, Duchesne, and Grigorenko, and then Bodker with Como and McKinnon. So you get guys like Como and Grigorenko getting opportunities with good players. Maybe this is bad news for Bodker, who we were excited about, because, you know, he was going to be playing with Landeskog and McKinnon. Now it's Como and McKinnon. I don't know. Not really any advice here, but I think it's interesting to keep a watch on the Colorado Lions. Well, in your league, somebody did drop Landeskog three games out in a playoff week is a big deal especially if you can't put him in like an IR plus slot or something if you are at all concerned about making it past the time when Landeskog returns I'm sorry but I think you have to drop him from your lineup and try and get somebody who's at least going to get you a point or two in the span that Landeskog is out and then hope that nobody else adds Landeskog while he's suspended and Elon like you said it's going to be a big game of chicken to see who is the first to get And Elon, you even texted me. You said it's going to be a big game of chicken to see which team is brave enough to add Landeskog first. Everybody's just going to be waiting and waiting and waiting till the last possible minute to add him. And it'll be up to you in your current situation to decide how much risk you can take, how many wasted games you can afford to have him in your lineup for. Yeah, Brian's talking about the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. Landeskog was dropped. I'm in a two-week matchup for the semifinals the second week is coming up. Landeskog's available, so one of us could have him for Sunday's game and then potentially for the following round if we're lucky enough to make it. I don't know. I don't know who's going to add him and when and how much of our fab budget we'll need to spend. I could have gotten him for free today, but I let him go. I wonder what the other owners in the Binghamton division are going to do. Brian, there's actually one more piece of suspension news. Jonathan Druin's suspension has been lifted. He's back playing with Tampa Bay's minor league team. He's apparently doing pretty well. Is there any fantasy relevance here? Is there any chance he'll get called up and do well for the Lightning? Or should we just completely forget about Druin for the rest of the year, which I think we've already said to do? I don't think he's eligible to play for the Lightning in the playoffs. So maybe, no, I'm not even going to go maybe. I think he's done for the regular season and the playoffs in the NHL. 2016-17 will be an exciting new frontier for Jonathan Druin, whether he's in Tampa or elsewhere. It's just good to see that he is putting on skates. He's playing and succeeding with the Lightning's AHL affiliate. Good for Druin. He'll be an interesting guy to talk about in the offseason when we're trying to project what he'll do next year. Let's move on to some hot streaks to end the show. And I want to start with someone that's not available in your league, but I just want to ask, Nick Letty, did you pick him up when we told you to? I really hope you did. We told you so many times when he was breaking out of that slump. You have to grab Nick Letty, top power play on the Islanders. And he's got four goals and 17 assists in his last 23 games. My opponent has him in one of my leagues, and it's been really hard seeing Letty just almost beat me. I think I'm going to pull out the win. You guys don't care about that. But I just want to say Nick Letty is amazing. And if you somehow can get him, I don't see why not. Islanders play four times next week. I expect at least three points from Letty, if not more. Also, speaking of the Islanders, Kyle Poso was back on the top line with John Tavares, and he's been away from him most of the season, but we all know how much Jack Capuano loves to mess around with his lines. Last game, it was Tavares with Ocposo and Josh Bailey, and then Strom with Nielsen and Nikolai Kuleman, Brock Nelson with Anders Lee and Shane Prince. Man, it really makes no one else have fantasy value on the Islanders, though I'm sure it'll get changed soon. But in the meantime, if you're a Kyle Poso owner who held on to him all season, he's been having a pretty decent year. Hopefully he'll be able to make a big splash to end the year playing with John Tavares. I'm going to go back to the first thing you said and just point out that Nick Letty is kind of a bum. He's done this before. Last season, he was quiet all year with the Islanders when we were all excited about him being there to man the power play, getting out of Chicago into a place where he can really shine. He did very little all year. And then boom, 11 points in his last 14 games, which set us up for excitement this year, saying, well, Nick Letty has emerged. He's a number one power play quarterback in Long Island. They've got a really good first unit. Things are going to be great. He did nothing for the first four months of the season. And then boom, 18 points in his last 19 games. Moral of the story, don't draft Nick Letty. 
let someone else do it, let them drop him, and then pick him up right around February or mid-February, and then enjoy what he has to offer from there. But Brian, you're being tongue-in-cheek right now, right? Because like that's a very small sample size, just one year or maybe two years where he's had a bad start. I would draft Nick Letty next year if I had the chance. These top power play defensemen are hard to find. He was so useless for the first chunk of the season. He spent significant time as a free agent, and I think several teams in my leagues that I've been in cycled through him, said, oh, I'm going to go grab Nick Letty because he's available, then got bored, dropped him, and then it was just essentially a game of Russian roulette, sort of, except the opposite, I guess, because whoever picked him up at the right time is the one who benefited. Well, if you're someone who drafted Nick Letty and held on to him all season, you're the one who really deserves the trophy. So let us know if that's the case. You're great. You're the real MVP. Yeah. <laughs> well, Nick Letty is, but you too. <laughs> Here's a guy we have to talk about. Let's go to Toronto and talk about Nikita Soshnikov. Out of nowhere, I had never heard of this guy. I'm going to admit it here. Brian probably did. But we were all excited about William Nylander getting called up. And we talked about him a couple of weeks ago. In seven games with the big club, Nylander only has two points. Two goals, though. And he's been taking a lot of shots. But the guy making the big splash has been Nikita Soshnikov. And I guess the numbers are pretty similar. He has three points in seven games. But also just taking a ton of shots. Two, five, four, six. I'm looking at his last four games. Both Nylander and Soshnikov are getting good power play time. Like, they're both going to be in a good position for the rest of the season because the Leafs don't really have anyone else to play. But, Brian, who is Nikita Soshnikov? Should people be adding him if he's available? And how would you rank him compared to Nylander for the rest of the season? He's been a great story. There have been a lot of really great articles written about him and his past to the NHL from, you know, small town in Russia where boxing was the sport of choice and how he chose hockey and then ended up being able to cross the pond into the NHL this year after playing a couple years in the KHL and not doing terribly remarkably well, but I guess he caught someone's eye in the right way. Even in the AHL this year, though, he had 28 points in 50 games, which wasn't really fantastic in an offensive way, but I think the Leafs have really enjoyed what he's brought to the team in terms of taking shots, in terms of hitting. He's a forward who's averaging almost four hits a game, 26 hits, in seven NHL games, and as many shots on goal, he's got 23 shots in that span. So if your league counts hits and shots on goal, then even if he's not putting up a ton of points, he's helping you in those peripheral categories. Yeah, I guess the one fear with adding one of these Maple Leafs is you could always be risking your plus minus. Soshnikov had a minus three yesterday against Ottawa. We'll see how he does today against Detroit. Brian, if you had to pick right now for the rest of the year, Nylander or Soshnikov, let's say your league doesn't count hits, who would you take? I'm going to go with Matthias' son, William Nylander, the rest of the way, because his shot counts are not significantly less. He has 18 shots on goal in seven games played. He's got a couple goals to go with that. He has zero assists. I don't know if that speaks to his ability to generate offense or the fact that he just doesn't have a ton of people to generate offense with. I think he's going to be given better offensive opportunities the rest of the way. And hey, he might not capitalize on a whole lot more, but I don't think he's going to do any worse offensively than Soshnikov down the stretch. I think it's funny, Brian, how we're both pronouncing all these names differently. I said Soshnikov, you said Soshnikov. I said Nylander, you said Nylander. You're probably right, but... I think I've said Soshnikov and Soshnikov in this segment. I was just hoping nobody would notice. (laughs) Well, now I've put attention to it. We just want to give all the options there, and then the listener could choose which pronunciation they want to go with, or we're probably just driving them all crazy. But I don't care. We have to move on. Let's talk about Sam Reinhardt on the Buffalo Sabres. He's been given a plum opportunity to play on the first line with Evander Kane and Jack Eichel. And he was all season playing on a good line because he had Ryan O'Reilly as a centerman before. But Reinhardt is currently riding a six points in eight game streak. And really, I don't expect him to slow down much if he's going to keep playing with Eichel and Evander Kane, who both, by the way, have seven points in their last eight games. So these are really the only people doing stuff on Buffalo, save for maybe Zach Bogosian, who actually has four points in eight games. He's been a nice surprise for people. Rasmus Ristolainen, someone who I traded Jaromir Jagr for, only has two points in eight games, which is a bit of a bummer. He is taking a lot of shots, at least, but not really even giving that many blocks. Come on, Ristolainen. But anyways, I wanted to talk about Sam Reinhart. I like him. Word is that Ryan O'Reilly might come back before the end of the year. He'll probably just bump Jack Eichel, and it'll be O'Reilly with Kane and Reinhart. So Reinhart is a free agent that's maybe available in your league, only 7% owned in ESPN, and I think he's definitely worth a long, hard look. He definitely is. Do you know, Elon, that amongst all regular Buffalo forwards this year, he leads the team in points for six 
60 minutes. He has been very efficient in making good use of his time on ice to score points. He is also right up there, really just behind Evander Kane in high danger scoring chances, 4 per 60 minutes, and Corsi 4 per 60 minutes. Everything looks good with what he's doing. He's not just lucking into a whole bunch of points here. He's putting in the work. I mean, his line mates are surely helping out a little bit, but he's not just walking the walk is what I'm trying to say. He's talking the talk. These points are coming from a reasonably authentic place, and it's really exciting to see him go on a little run this year because there have been so many guys in Buffalo that we've turned our attention to over the last couple of years. Maybe this guy will do something. This guy will do something. Reinhardt was one of them briefly, but then sort of forgotten, and now he's sort of just working his way back onto everybody's radar. And now as we're bouncing around the league to all of these hot players, I want to go to a guy I think is pretty similar to Sam Reinhardt. Maybe a lot of people are deciding between this guy and Reinhardt for a pickup for the remainder of the season. I'm talking about Robbie Fabry on St. Louis. This is also someone who we've talked about every once in a while on the podcast, and he's on a really nice run. Seven points in his last seven games. He's been all over the place in terms of shots on goal. He had one game with five shots against Chicago and then followed that up with zero and one against Anaheim and Dallas. So I'm not sure what you get in terms of shots with Fabry, but the points speak for themselves. One of those seven points was on the power play. I wouldn't expect big power play production from Fabry, but he's playing on a line with Paul Stasny and Troy Brower, and they've been doing pretty well lately. Stasny actually had three assists yesterday against Dallas and has five points in his last three games himself. Maybe if he's available, actually, Brian, I'd be curious to know who you'd want between Stasny and Fabry at this point, and then throw Reinhardt into the mix. But I'm talking about Fabry, definitely on a decent line, and also probably a free agent in a lot of leagues. I mentioned Reinhardt is 7% owned at ESPN. Fabry is only 1.1% owned, which is way too low for a guy who has 7 points in his last 7 games and has 23 points in 64 games. So he's basically been a half point per game guy so far this season and really heating up now, you should have them on your watch list. If you're going to make me rank those guys quickly, I'm going with Fabry, another player whose name we pronounce differently, right in the middle of those two. So I'm going to go Reinhardt first, then Fabry, and then Stasny, which seems a little strange, but Stasny doesn't seem like a guy who produces by himself. I feel like whenever he produces, maybe Fabry can get in on it as well since they're playing together. I don't see a ton of occasions where Stasny is going to have a goal unassisted or a chance for him to really run away with scoring points because he hasn't done that for like two years now in St. Louis and I'm tired of waiting for him. So I'm going to put lots of people ahead of him in terms of who I prioritize to add to my team. And that's why I like Reinhardt more than Fabry is because Fabry is playing with Stasny who I just can't depend on and that taints everybody that Stasny plays with. Reinhardt there's no doubt about his line mates in Buffalo right now. Reinhardt also consistently sees better power play opportunities. You've got him seeing a 60% share, 65%, even 85% share a few games ago, whereas Fabry rarely cracks 50%. He's more getting about 30 or 40% of his team's power play minutes and generally on a weaker unit than Reinhardt plays on. Okay, that's fair. I think I'd agree I'd put Reinhardt first. Kind of interesting that you have Stasny over Fabry. I think I'd go Stasny, but it's probably close. Fabry is definitely an interesting free agent, and I just pronounced his name twice differently in the same sentence. So good for me. Good for Robbie Fabry. And one other guy I want to say good for is good for Devante Smith-Pelly. Bet you guys didn't think I was going to say his name, but did you know that since he joined the New Jersey Devils, which by the way, did you know he joined the New Jersey Devils? Smith-Pelly has five points in five games. He's been a point per game player on the Devils. He can't play a game and not get a point. It's unbelievable. And if you look at his line mates, I guess it makes some sense. He's been put in a really nice position playing on a line with Adam Henrique and Tyler Kennedy. Well, I guess the fact that he's playing with Henrique is really what I'm saying here. He's also got an opportunity to play on the power play with Henrique, Reed Boucher, and Tyler Kennedy. Oh man, these devils. Not a lot of star power there. But Smith Pelly is playing with one of the few stars in Adam Henrique. And he's definitely been taking advantage of it so far. Brian, is there any reason at all to think that this production from Devontae Smith-Pelly can be sustainable? Well, a lot of Devontae Smith-Pelly's success as a devil has come from scoring goals. He has three in five games playing for New Jersey. But the thing with Smith-Pelly is he doesn't take a ton of shots. He has just 65 shots this season in 50 games played. Granted, he has only been averaging about 11 and a half minutes of ice per game, but still... Any player who is suddenly scoring goals and you want it to continue, you need to see more shots than that. And Smith Pelly has been seeing more ice in New Jersey. He's seen 18 minutes, 15 and a half minutes, 14 minutes, 18 minutes. But all in all, he only has seven shots. He scored on three of them, which is great. 42% shooting success rate. Good for him. But I don't expect it to keep coming in the form of goals, at least. Maybe, like you said, Elon, if Adam Henrique can get going, maybe Smith Pelly can get in on that. But I don't see Smith Pelly 
as a really good shooter or finisher that can keep doing this all for himself. Yeah, that was an example of me asking a question that I knew the answer to. Don't bank on Devontae Smith-Pelly. I guess if you're in a really deep league, you could do worse, and he is on a bit of a hot run, but I like all of the names of the people we've mentioned before him on Hot Streaks. Maybe you could put him in the same category as Ryan Murphy, as someone you could take a real shot in the dark at and hope for something good. Brian, before we end the show, let's talk about one. I don't want to call him a snoozer, because I don't think you're making a mistake by keeping him in your lineup, but I'd be curious to know your opinion. But definitely a guy on a cold streak that we've been getting a lot of questions about is Tyler Toffoli. Toffoli has zero goals and only one assist in his last seven games. A really bad time for him to be going cold heading into the fantasy playoffs for a lot of people, maybe already in the fantasy playoffs. We've been starting to get questions of people asking, should I drop Tyler Toffoli in a somewhat shallow league? But even in a deepish league, you know, if he's not giving you any points, it's not like he's a big peripherals guy. doesn't hit a lot. Doesn't even really shoot a lot, at least lately. He's had three of his last four games, only one shot on goal, which is just brutal for a guy who, you know, overall 178 shots in 67 games. You should expect at least two, maybe three shots a game. Like I said, just a really bad time to be cold. Looks like he's back playing with Jeff Carter for a while. Carter was on a different line in LA's last game. They went with Kopitar, Lucic, and Christopher Stieg, actually, who got traded to LA. That's the top line. And then Toffoli back with Jeff Carter and Tanner Pearson. That 70s line back together. Brian, is there a chance that that 70s line can make some noise for the rest of the season? Or is Tyler Toffoli going to go out with a whimper? I think there is a chance that he can rekindle what he was doing earlier in the season, but he's definitely in snoozer territory right now. He's done very little for a while now. Even on a good stretch lately, he was like a half point per game player. Some of that was due to a low on ice shooting percentage, and that could have been related to the line mates that he got saddled with when Kopitar got injured and Carter moved up a line. He's still putting uh, roughly the same number of shot attempts and getting the same number of scoring chances as usual. I mean, not necessarily as many as he was seeing during his huge run that he went on to start the season, but still a reasonable amount. So I think he can still be above a half point per game player the rest of the way, but is going to need to see a few pucks bounce his way to get there. Yeah, and I should mention, I was talking about the LA Lions in their last game. They actually shuffled around a bit now that I look a little closer. At one point, Kopitar was playing with Jeff Carter and Milan Lucic on the top line, and Tyler Toffoli was with Tanner Pearson and Nick Shore, so that would definitely be bad news for him if Jeff Carter moves off of his line. So definitely keep your eye on the Dauber line combos when deciding whether or not you want to give Tyler Toffoli a little bit more rope. And with that, we have reached the end of our list of players we wanted to talk about. Brian, we got through all of them. This has been a mega show. Thank you so much to all of you for tuning in and listening. Hopefully, you've gotten some good advice that you're going to be able to use to take yourself all the way to the championship in your fantasy leagues. If you like the show, tweet at us. Let us know, at Keeping Carlson. You can also follow us on Twitter. We've been trying our best to keep you up to date with any super relevant fantasy news. We retweeted a tweet about how Kyle Ocposo got on the top line. Twitter's fun. Follow us on Twitter. Tweet at us. Also, you can give us a five-star review on iTunes if you would be so kind. That really helps the show. Doesn't cost you a cent. If you want to go a step beyond in supporting the show, you could look into becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson. We've got a patron cast coming this Tuesday in two days where the patrons get to just come, ask us any questions. It's their show. And it's always a lot of fun. And then, of course, if you're not able to make it, we make all past patron casts available to our patrons. Also, you get to join the patron-only Facebook group. Check it out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. If you have any sporting events or concerts that you're interested in going to in the next little while, do us and yourselves a favor by buying your tickets at SeatGeek with the offer code KEEPING. You get $20 off your first purchase. Brian, that's all I've got. So let's cue that outro music. And how about you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our wonderful patrons, it was researched with help from Frozen Pool, Hockey Reference, War on Ice, Hockey Analysis, Roto World, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Great job as always, Brian. Looking forward to talking to you on Tuesday for the Patreon and then doing this all again next week. Three Keeping Carlson appearances in four days. I don't know if I'll be able to handle it. Looking forward to Tuesday and next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson. <laughs>